Hi, this is the Ancient Texan. I've tried to start this podcast two or three times, and I find I get so irritated that uh, I kind of destroy my message with my anger. There's a podcast that, or podcast is a talk I'm going to to put in the description from Mark Mills and it's about the the delusion of the clean revolution or whatever you want to call it um, and it's something that I was on the edge of, of like coming up with myself and it was bothering me our plan A for reducing CO2 into the atmosphere. I have several problems with that, some of which I've vocalized before and I won't repeat for the moment. But Mr. Mills doesn't question the ambition of reducing CO2. He looks at this is going to take me a series of podcasts because it's really a lot of this report that we're looking at, the world of critical minerals and the clean energy transition um, is like 200 page long and it's a dense read. But I also think it's full of a lot of very optimistic assumption that Mark Mills challenges. This report's put together by the International Energy Association. So these are some heavyweights that are putting this report together. We're going to jump down to the executive summary, which has a one graph here that summarizes the challenges in front of us. Let's say we have a conventional car. What kind of minerals does it take? What kind of, this, use the word minerals, is actually the metals that come from those minerals. But a conventional car takes about, this looks like 30 kilograms of, say, 60 pounds of mostly copper and manganese. Manganese is an alloying agent in, in steel. And then you can look at an electric car. And this, actually, the model they use here, most electric cars have a battery that's quite a bit bigger than they use in this report. So if anything, what you're fixing to see here is understated, not overstated. But an electric car takes like 210 kilograms of metals. 
look at the first one, copper, you go from 30-ish or 25, 30-ish kilograms of copper to 55 or something copper. You could have more copper to make an electric car. Then you have to have lithium, looks like five kilograms. Nickel, looks like 20 kilograms, give or take a little bit. Manganese, quite a bit more, 15. Cobalt and graphite. So that that's a lot more metals. And let's say we actually started going like Norway is 80% of new cars sold in Norway are electric cars. And is that a role model for the rest of us? Well, maybe. Let's hold that thought. Now let's say instead of generating our power with natural gas, we're going to generate it with coal. So natural gas and coal we'll use as a nuclear. That's kind of the status quo of who we are now. Most of our power is either natural gas, coal, or nuclear. There's some hydro, but those are the foundations. And you can see that for each megawatt of power we generate, we need, I don't know, let's call it a thousand kilograms of metals to build our infrastructure to make natural gas. We need 2,000 kilograms of materials to build up our infrastructure. But th this is a, a per year uh, requirement it, it, over the life of the project, the average. Nuclear, we need quite a bit more, like 5,000 kilograms of material. Now we jump up to solar and we're like 6,000. We're going to make our power by offshore wind. We jump up to 9,000. Our onshore wind. And then offshore wind, we jump, jump up to looks like 15,000. And you can see that in all of these, there's a whole lot more copper required. So the question is, can the world, can the mining industry make more copper. Okay, we've just seen that we need more copper if we're going to go green, both in the infrastructure that brings us electricity and also in the electric cars that we plan to run around in. And it's, it's a lot more copper. It may not be double, but it, it's a substantial increase in the amount of copper is required. Well, what's happening to copper ore grades? Uh, for those of you that are on YouTube, you can see this plot of ore grade that's dropping from 1% uh, down toward a half a percent. Uh, now, ore grade, as it drops... Right now, to get at 1%, you can get 20 pounds of metal by moving one, by moving one ton of material 
2,000 pounds of material at the bottom of the pit and taking it up to the top of the pit, and you can get 20 pounds. As it drops to a half a percent, you have to take a ton of material, and if you've seen the open pits, I'll throw a picture in of an open pit here. Um, got to take up this winding roads and these huge trucks and take it up to the top of that pit. So you can't, you can't cheat physics. It just takes a lot more energy to get a pound of copper up the hill when you got to carry with it a lot of ore. Now what isn't included in that is you also well, have the amount of energy like the Copper deposit that's required as copper may be covered with down, starts going up exponentially. Five hundred yards of well, dirt. Right now, before you get down to the deposit, and we're that's producing got to enough copper to kind of keep up with our else, our way of life. But as we increase the copper demand, we're going to have to dig more holes in the ground, a lot more holes in the ground, a lot more mines as the ore grade is declining with higher energy to higher energy demands to get that ore grade up the hill and then processed so mark mills asked the question is this possible and if you looked at the pan the plan projects the the ore ore deposits that we have going today um, the ore grade is declining and the deposits are running out. Uh, ore deposits is only so big and eventually you mine it and it's gone. And you got to go get a new mine. Well, all our current deposits um, are declining. There's very few that are still in their prime. So if we don't do anything... Copper production is going to go down. It turns out we have a very limited number of new mines planned. You know how long it takes from the time that you say, well, wow, we need more copper. Let's find a deposit, check it out, do a bunch of drilling to find out what's down there, and then every deposit is different. you got to come up with a scheme flow sheet, how you're going to process this material, how you're going to make the metal concentrates. Is there oxide ore around? Are you going to do, you know, acid leaching, heap leaching? What, what, you know, how are you going to get that other stuff? How are you going to get it from where it is? Because typically copper deposits are in really difficult and remote places. How are you going to, you know, you're going to build a city for these people to live in next door and you got to build roads and get the ore from where it is to concentrate plant, which is usually close by. And then from there, the concentrate's got to go to a smelter to make it into the metal, which usually goes to a port and goes to China. You know how long it takes to do that from like where we're sitting right now? One single deposit? Five years, ten years. Now the the average in the world is sixteen years.
can he shave a few years off of that? Probably. I mean, if he's willing to put a lot of money into it. You know what the average is in the United States? We haven't built one. I don't believe. I think we've expanded some pits and stuff that we've got. Uh, but we haven't built a new smelter in my lifetime. When I got out of school, there were 100 copper smelters. 30 lead smelters. We made more copper in the state of Arizona than the rest of the world put together. And that's the career I went into, which looked really promising. I'm 75. We have not built a smelter, a metal refining facility in my lifetime. Or certainly in my career, which is 57, 58 years I've been doing this. Zero. Zip. So how long does it take in the United States? Forever. Not in my backyard. It doesn't happen here. Do we have deposits that should be, could be turned into a mine? Yes. Uh, Biden turned down the approval on a uh, copper mine in Michigan just last year. Told him to come back in 20 years. So in my lifetime, probably not going to approve one in the United States. Not in my backyard. Not green in my backyard would be if we took responsibility for the environment, any potential pollution, and did it in the most environmentally responsible way possible. No, we're going to send it overseas and trust other people are doing it well. Well, your trust is misguided. If you're an NB, you're making the planet worse. You're not making it better. That's a whole nother subject. The subject today is, can we produce more copper? The answer on the long run is yes, we can produce more copper. Can we produce a lot more copper over the next 10 years than currently we, we're producing? We can produce a little more. You can always squeeze out a little more. Can we produce the amount of copper required for the Green Revolution? I don't think so. When we turned down a copper mine in Michigan, we're saying no to the Green Revolution. We're saying no to responsibility inside the United States. And ultimately, we're saying no, we are not going to make our targets on going green. It's just physically impossible without digging new holes in the ground. United States is not digging new holes, and there's very few planned over the planet. As we become more environmentally conscious and make more rules about the environment and make the approval process so long and so torturous to protect the environment, 
we actually stop projects from going forward. And we've set up a system where you can bring lawsuits and the procedure is so long and torturous and you have to consider the economic environmental impact and you've got to write all these reports and people can protest. So it takes one protester to stop the system. And that's been set up by the liberal side of the world. So yes, we've armed people that don't believe in, you know, CO2 rising. We've armed armed them with a procedure system that stops progress. We cannot get anything done in the United States. The rest of the world does better than we do in getting new projects that, you know, like a mine. But it's not a piece of cake anywhere. And yet, we're making all these plans about going green, but we're not addressing the approval process of how do you get a copper mine in Michigan approved and started? The answer is in, in America, we don't. NIMBYs and our legal structure stops project. We can push the buck to someone else and actually, the person that's that's pulling most of the weight in this area is China. China invests in mines and helps other countries get projects going. And then they do all the re metal refining. Most of it happens in China. So if, if we trust China, we can ask them if they will send us more copper. And we will ask them to try harder to get more mines started around the world and finance more mines, we will ask them for their help in meeting our green goals. And I'm picking on copper, but we're going to come back to lithium and other metals, and this condition's not much better. Where do we get our nickel? Russia. Well, we'll ask Putin if he can send us a little more nickel because we need it for our green revolution. How do, how do you think that's going to work out? So the point of this podcast is we've built this plan about how we're going to go green. We're going to do make all these electric cars. And we haven't asked the simple question. I'm throwing the ball from a dog. We haven't asked the simple question. Do we have the minerals, do we have the metal production to execute this plan? And the answer is a flat no. We do not have it. This is a pipe dream. And when we do start putting pressure on the system to deliver us more copper, more lithium, more nickel, more graphite, more manganese, more zinc, more cobalt. What do you think is going to happen to the price structure? What do you think is going to happen to the price of electric cars? I just noticed uh, 
Tesla is coming up with a car under $20,000 that's going to be all electric, which is great. But right now, Tesla is kind of a one-game show. And, you know, in Norway, they're selling 80% of new electric cars are electric. But Norway's small. Nor Norway's rich. They're much richer than us. You want to look into that. Their per capita wealth is much greater than ours. So, are, are you starting to see the problem here? As soon as, like, General Motors talks a good game, but they really haven't done much with electric vehicles. They get called to the White House and how they're changing the world and going all electric and they don't ask Tesla. Just figure out that politics. I think that may be because Elon, he's kind of a cross between liberal and conservative, and he's swung a little more conservative here lately. He thinks we got problems on the liberal side of the agenda, and I, I think he has some valid points. So we've got this problem of we don't have the material for what we plan to do. That hasn't stopped us from pretending that we're doing what we're, we're going to save the planet by making more electric vehicles. It also turns out the amount of electric vehicles uh, on, a, on a world stage is like a few percent. I think it's we're up to three percent or something in the actually we're I think we're up to three percent of new cars sold or sold is going electric, which our average fleet is only like a half a percent or something in the U.S. Anyway, they're, they're, they're little numbers. And if you go over to the world, what do you think it is in Africa? Well, it's not a big number. Toyota has refused to get on board. General Motors gives a lot of lip service, but... They're not on board and they just canceled their agreement with their battery company to make batteries for all their new cars, a new battery plant. I think it's Panasonic. Do you see why I'm getting irritated with our, what we're doing? I work on projects and I do material and energy balance. I look at, well, we want to make X tons of magnesium. How much ore do we need? What byproducts do we produce? How much energy do we need? We kind of like make a package and we say we're, we have to get, to get funding, which is almost impossible in America because we don't believe in doing these kind of projects, as I've already mentioned. Um, to get funding, we have to do a material and energy balance where we do complete accounting, like a recipe for a cake. Everything coming in, everything going out of the plant, the cost of everything going in, the cost, you know, the revenues generated by what's going out and the cost generated and where the energy input is and 
you got to make a balance. Well, you actually have to make a balance if you're going to go go green. You actually have to do like a worldwide material balance. And it is tough because you also have to, it's much tougher than my job, because you also have to predict what technology is going to happen in the future and how that's going to change the energy mix. But common to all of these plans is copper. That's why I'm picking on copper. And what's common to all technology moving forward is if you're going to go green, you're going to go from our energy source being liquids and gases to solids like solar panels, windmills. So you have to produce physical solid things, um, big batteries in the car, instead of putting fuel in an ice internal combustion engine. So you got to have like a master plan of where all this stuff is coming from and the required. Now, I guess you could just hope that it happens, but copper mines don't just happen. Copper mines go through approval processes and get disapproved. So I think, and this is going to be a series of talks talking about each metal as we go through. I think we'll probably do lithium next. With copper, I think it's pretty clear, and if you listen to Mark Mills, he's very confident. This report that I'm referring to, and I'll leave the reference for it too, um, has some real... There's going to be some difficulties and strains and challenges. Uh, very wishful. And I I think if you project out over 50 years, maybe, you know, who, who the hell knows. But you can be more optimistic. If you project out over the next 10 years, 20 years, where our lens is a little better, it doesn't look good. And... I would say my project, if I was, you know, working on this project like I do on individual plants, would not get approval, would not get funding. The odds of us coming up with enough copper magically, um, it's not there. And if you want to make the green revolution, you don't start at the end of the pipeline with the electric cars. Now, I guess you, you know, it's kind of like trickle down economics. You make rich people rich and it'll trickle down. Well, I don't think this works that you make it electric cars and then that creates copper mines. Uh, it does help to know that you're going to have this future demand and it's going to make more people interested in it. It does not make the Biden administration approve a project, and it doesn't make it get approved in Peru either. So you got to start and spend, and we are actually are spending a lot of money trying to expand resources. But it's not just money. 
not that there isn't a lot of new money required. But it's also a change in attitude. NIMBY has got to go. I see no indication that NIMBY is going anywhere. We just disapproved a copper mine. The lithium deposit in Nevada right now is facing all sorts of resistance. And I think there's one in South Carolina. So, how... With NIMBY in place, I don't see how this all works out. And I see no indication where even NIMBY and, you know, building multifamily units for for people in, say, in San Francisco. You know, that's kind of the heart of liberalism. Um, NIMBY is stopping that, and so their streets are packed full of homeless people in San Francisco. I don't know if you've seen some of the pictures there, but California has more homeless people than anybody else because a liberal structure has the NIMBY attitude is kind of baked in and it's more than just copper mines, lithium mines. It's people, homes for people, not in my backyard. I want to keep my little section of the world just like it is status quo i'm taken care of i'm good here let's not mess anything up that's that's somebody else's problem and then number two is we built a liberal structural liberal structure we have more lawyers than any place in the world one out of 250 people one of them will be a lawyer about 10 times more lawyers than engineers. People that do stuff versus people that protest stuff. Uh, it's actually built by the liberal side of the world has put in all these regulations to make sure that we do things right. But what they've really done is ensure that we don't do anything at all. So with, and it's kind of an extension of NIMBY, uh, our liberal structure and regulatory system is pretty much set up to block anything but the status quo. So I'm saying we don't have a plan A for the green revolution. It cannot happen. Um, it's not going to happen in my lifetime, and I do not think we're going to make any significant progress. And I don't think it's from lack of effort or lack of money. It's we need a change in mindset. We have to be willing to take some risk and local responsibility for stuff, even when it kind of makes a little bit of smoke in our backyard. So this is the ancient Texans saying we need to come up with a plan B because our plan A has got some serious flaws and we can't really do the green revolution with the way things are. And we're also bucking up against 
Mother Nature and lower ore grades and higher cost at the same time, which is not cool. And we're also not making really good friends with the people that are taking the risks, the Chinas and Russias of the world, who happen to have all the stuff we need for the Green Revolution. Isn't that ironic? Kicking the teeth. This is the ancient Texan saying we need to like reevaluate where the hell we are because we are not where we think we are with the Green Revolution. It's not possible with the problems we've got facing us and the way we're going at solving them. This is the ancient Texan. Hope you have a good day. Uh, pass this on if you carry some weight for you. Otherwise, just click off. <laughs> Have a good day. Namaste.